everybody, and welcome welcome back to the Renewed Life Podcast. I am Ryan McGuigan, and uh, joining me today is uh, is uh, is somebody that I'm I'm really happy to see. It's uh, a very close friend of mine uh, who I I came to know through some of his wild and crazy party buddies um, that I have represented over the years, and um, he became a very special case for me insofar as um, there have been uh, very few people, uh, well, not too few, but there, there have been a small percentage of people that I can call my clients and later call my very close friends. Uh, and Jeffrey King is one of them. Uh, Jeffrey is a, a businessman. He's an entrepreneur and um, was very successful uh, all throughout his life and um, just had one little bit of a hiccup of a problem and um, became addicted to uh, alcohol and uh, had an issue with, with Adderall that we'll, we'll get into later. And after uh, three DUIs, uh, met me. And uh, uh, from then on in, he and I have been friends in sobriety and uh, in friends in, in, uh, in reality. And so, um, everybody, Jeffrey King, Jeff, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, how are things going? Things are going great. You know, um, I just hit six years, uh, September 22nd and, um, yeah, I'm just yep. moving, shaking and popping, you know, I, I appreciate you for saving my life and I still owe you my firstborn childs, but um, we can talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we can talk about it right now. Okay. <laughs> so, um, well, I'll tell you what, what why do, I'm getting pushed away by a puppy. Why don't you um, basically just start like this as a meeting, and, uh, and, and you can start off wherever you feel comfortable uh, in how you and I first met. Yeah, so, you know, I, I met Ryan through a, a good friend who um, partied a lot and unfortunately when i got out of rehab i had to really change who i hung around with which which sucked but um uh you know i i kept him close enough right um i'm not sure if we're using people's names on here if that's okay but um i'll just leave it as a gentleman and um and we still you know get dinner here and there because he's still friends with ryan but um it was ironic the person that introduced me to the person who saved my life ended up being a person I couldn't hang around with when I got out of rehab and was basically, uh, you know, a one-year-old man <laughs> since I had um, started drinking very, very early um, at the age of 14. So, Tell us about that. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, for most people, I, w I would say alcohol was my... Um, was my courage, right? Uh, I remember being just a so socially awkward uh, kid. Um, I'm a first-generation um, Jamaican. Uh, my parents came from the island. They came from nothing. They came to America and raised me in the suburbs while uh, my dad maintained his business in the inner city. So, y yes, I was in the city of Hartford all the time, but I was raised in the suburbs in the um, late 80s and 90s, and that was a huge... Uh, cultural shock for my parents and a huge um, experience for me and um, alcohol and Adderall ended up being that you know drug of choice that gave me the, the quote unquote courage to to move forward through life 
but it ended up being a very slippery slope. There's a there's a timetable on that, a shelf life on it, and I started going down the hill and crashing and burning at a time where I thought my life was, you know, on the up and up and maintaining. So, um, you know, um, going back to uh, the drinking, like I said, you know, you go to that first high school party, everyone's drinking, everyone's doing everything from the suburbs and the good areas, quote unquote, so to speak. And that first drink gave me the courage to be social. And then just, you know, it came to be that like false reality that alcohol fixes all um, you know, issues that uh, you're either scared with or mad with or whatever. And I just partied like a wild animal all throughout high school, into college, outside of college. And, you know, going through my own trials and tribulations as a, as a black man in America, you know, the, the confidence and the ability to keep drinking just started sloping down right um but the intake kept on going up and just ended up crashing and burning where i wasn't young enough to bounce back as fast as i used to be right um and i had to use adderall as a way to get back from all the drinking that just was a depressant right and a downer so you know that's when did you when did you start using Adderall? um so i've always had eight so i so i started using adderall and college right like i've always had add and i think that um teachers wanted to put me on maybe ritalin and adderall when i was probably in you know middle school and high school but you know my parents just don't know about that kind of stuff right it's it's like why if you if you have too much energy go on outside and go run right like you get the island version of, of what you need to do with that energy there's no hey i have add <laughs> you, like you can't concentrate you, you do your dad very on. well <laughs> you know he's 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 fresh off the boat, man. Great guy, but th- there's no talking yeah. about ADD with a with a Jamaican. That's for sure. Um, well, you talked about being a black man in America, and um, obviously, m- my wife shares her Jamaican roots with your families, um, and sort of you were you were hinting at the social anxieties of growing up in the, in the suburbs. And, um, I, 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 I can appreciate that. And I, I would like to, um, I would like you to more specifically go, go into that period of life and that social anxiety that you felt and in how alcohol may or may not have been a really wonderful, um, magic drug to, to help, uh, to help with that social anxiety. Yeah, so, you know, as a young child, it's hard. You know, you don't know what you don't know. It, I knew something was off, and I was very angry about it, but I just didn't have the skills to deal with it, and my parents didn't have the skills of being American to n- help me navigate through what I needed to do as far as what I do now as a as a black man in America, right? I, I could go back to... Um, my parents, how they got to the suburbs. You know, they lived in Hartford in this apartment. And when you had a child, you weren't able to stay in that apartment. They would tell you if you're having a child, you have to move out because they didn't want the place to be destroyed by, you know, children. So they got pushed out of this oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, they got pushed out of this nice area in Hartford and had to move to outside when they had my sister. So, um, you know, they that was back when redlining was a thing, you know, um, and they the ironic thing was the house they bought ended up being the 
the landlord that they were renting from and he knew they were looking for a house and he never offered them the house that they ended up buying which was which was crazy so you know they moved into the town um into the suburbs and um i my first experience as far as being a black man in america that made me angry was in fifth grade right i had all these different friends i was only uh Jamaican black person on my street for 20 years and I got pulled over walking home from school in the fifth grade by a police officer not one day in a row two days in a row and my mom marched me down to the police station and said you did this to my husband when we moved into town we never left you're not gonna do this to my son absolutely not and you know that that taught me a life lesson too but I always knew it was gonna be different for me and I was angry about it right and and alcohol definitely helped me you know put that anger in a spot where I thought it was handled, but it just, you know, alcohol amplifies whatever. If you're in a good mood, sure. If you're in a bad mood, it's even worse, right? So there was a lot of anger and, and self-hatred and all these different things growing up and being um, um, exposed to, the, you know, the social um, uh, race issues in America, which are, you know, a lot different now, but back then it was, it was tough. In less than the 40s and 50s, don't get me wrong, right? But it was still my experience. So, um, when did you start drinking? In high school, so 14 years old, um, and and so you know, um, I didn't mesh well with other kids. My father never taught me how to play baseball, right? So it was a very, I didn't fit in any group. So I bounced all around, like, oh, I don't play baseball well. Um, yeah, I ended up being a great soccer player, right, which is more in the roots of the reggae boys in Jamaica. But, you know, I didn't fit in any group, and I spent yeah. my entire life bouncing around trying to find friends, and it never worked out. So um, that was a real tough uh, lesson in life, and it wasn't until rehab where my therapist there just, like, you know, gave me the tools in life and said, yeah, Jeff, you don't belong to any group, but that means you can go to any group. You can talk to whomever you want, stay as long as you want, and then leave and go on your own accord. You don't need to belong to any group. Some people are stuck to a certain group because of the way they are and where they were raised. And, and that really like let me go to just accept who I am and accept whomever I'm uh, friends with or not friends with, really. Um, and I, and I can say to this day, everyone likes me, right? Which is crazy because I don't try to stick around too long. <laughs> they so. they do like you. I, I I don't know anybody who has ever said a a, a bad word about you. Uh, and uh, and and I for for the audience's uh, benefit, I, I I do know your dad, uh, and so I I know he talks exactly like that. But but also um, I I do know the the way that you were brought up. And it was very similar to the way that I was brought up. And I think that that probably has a lot to do uh, why why um, I've been blessed with long-term sobriety and you've been blessed with long-term sobriety. Uh, oh, yeah. And you were brought up with a, with a, sense, a sense of discipline and, um, and re- really is uh, accountability. And that uh, your your parents gave you discipline, but also that they held you accountable to to the to the entity that raised you, which is your family. And I and I think those two things are, are crucial um, if some if somebody is uh, is wants to get sober. Uh, that that that's something that they have to fall back on if they have it, and if they don't, they need to learn it. Um, but I, I want to get into um, 
you know, the salad years, the fun years of, of drinking, you know, your 20s. Uh, I do know you as a successful businessman. So, you know, a, a lot of times uh, in, in when we talk about our sobriety, we talk about our addiction, we end up focusing on, you know, the times that we were literally at our bottom, you know, but it always wasn't like that. And no. um, what I what, what I always like to do, I like, yeah, I, I, I like to, to tell stories where people who are who are, you know, in their 20s and they're they're nailing it and they're on top of it right now. I like I like them to hear stories of of how guys like us at that age were the same way and how this is a chronic disease and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So why don't you tell us about in your 20s, what you what you did, what your, your accomplishments and um, and your successful business? So I, I want to go back to high school, right, because. Yep. I, I, drinking and driving was my thing, right? So a lot of people don't understand it. They're like, why did you drive? Why didn't you just take an Uber or get a ride or whatever the case may be? And I tell them, I said, listen, I was warped from a very young age as far as drinking and driving, right? Uh, so in the West Indian culture, Ray and Nephews, that is that drinking, right? It's 80 proof, it's over... Um, overproof rum right it's like rubbing alcohol you can yeah, literally just, you can literally blow it out uh hit a match and just like the, spit the, flames the, right the, the brazilians the brazilians call it the brazilians call it p2 p2 yeah yeah this stuff is is brutal but that's yeah. what this is this is what jamaicans drink right so you know you can just imagine the the yep. stories from my my father's generation that I saw right, and I'll never forget. It was the Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson fight. My dad brought me out right, um, and I was with my cousin. The, the ear chopping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> I just I just recall as a kid, just loud Jamaicans like, "Look at that body shot! Look at that body shot!" Like bombing him head, bombing him head, bomb, 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 bombing him head. <laughs> and my cousin and I are just laughing right because we're like. These dudes are lit. Oh, my God. Like, they're drinking Ray and Nephew by the bottle, and, you know, it's all guys around. The women are nowhere to be found. It's just a whole bunch of old-school Jamaican men just influencing me and my cousin, right? So at the end of the night, my dad, had um, his very successful friend, he owned an electrical company, he had his um, Ferrari out that night, right? And this guy wanted to drive it home. I remember this as a kid, right? This was when everything just was the wrong lesson, right? Every Because everything boils down to confidence and what your mind believes you can do. So at the end of the night, this guy wants to drive his car. I see my dad just navigating the whole system with his Jamaican, you know, smoothness and gets this guy to not drive his car home, gets him to leave it there, brought home, and he brings myself and my cousin home. And I'm like, how are we going to make it home? we're in trouble, right? Like we live close to a police station. How are we going to scoop by that? And I'm petrified as a kid, but you know, you don't say anything back to your parents at the age of 14, especially not Jamaicans, you know? Um, I can say my dad hit me once and that was all I needed. And my mom was like, I kind of told you, right? So um, we're going home, (laughs) we're going, (laughs) we're going home and he makes it home fine. Perfect. And I'm like, oh, so you can't drive drunk. You just can't be like, you know this guy over here rest in peace he an amazing man um very successful um but that's how i became warped as far as drinking and driving right and so in high school when i got my license everyone wanted to drive with me like people would be like no i'm going with jeff he's the best drunk driver ever <laughs> like these are things people said to me right <laughs> like 
<laughs> and it's like, how could that not warp a young person who thinks they know everything but knows nothing, right? Like, no, he's the best. So we would go to New York City in the 20s, right? Like, we would party all night in New York City, go to the clubs, be reckless yeah. with it, and drive home, right? And on top of that, smoke some smoke some ganja, right? So just to make matters worse. But it was – you just felt invincible. It felt like you could do anything you wanted, and the next morning I would wake up and just – go play varsity soccer, right? Like, there was there was no issue. There was no hangover where it's like, okay, I need, like, three days to, to bounce back, and this is brutal, you know? And that that's at, like, the age of 30, I would say, and beyond. You don't bounce back the way you used to, even in college, right? And so that's where the drinking and driving was the, the end of me, right? Like, there's the shelf life. In high school and college, you can drink all night. You could drink a 30 rack in a day. I used to play beer pong in my room uh, before I went out with a 30 rack and then drink another 30 rack, right? And just keep on going. And it's just not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. So, you know, um, there were some wild nights. I mean, I remember being in New Hampshire um, in college um, and partying in Manchester in a car full of girls and my best friends next to me and we get pulled over for speeding on the highway and I'm like all windows down because my car is blacked out with tents right so it's like I don't want to get a ticket for having darked out windows so you just put all the windows down and it's freezing it's like New Hampshire in the middle of November um, and the cops and so the girls are like officer I'm wasted that's my boyfriend he's the sober one bringing me home and I'm not sober at all, right? Like, I think we hid the bottle in the car. Like, you girls hold that, put it in your purse. And the cop, like, came over to me. And because I had this composure, like, Jeff's the best drunk driver. I just kept it together. And he let me go, right? And and that was that. So, I mean, I've even had sobriety tests where the officer knew I was wasted. But I was so good at balancing and doing all of the um, um, field sobriety um, tests that he let me go. He was like... I don't understand this. Just go home. <laughs> and it's like, how do you get away with that? Um, and it just ended up uh, being to the point where I had gotten my third DUI on my birthday, right? Like, you can't get any worse than that. It's like, here's your third DUI. You can't get any more. It's on your birthday. And you were you scaled your father's company from doing, you know, maybe $300,000 in revenue to like 10x, right? So it was it was just like this massive crash over the cliff where it's like I have 20 employees, my parents believe in me, I have bills to pay, a lifestyle to live, I've put myself out there as this person, and now I'm, what, going to prison and my company's over? And, you know, I wanted to run away. I, I thought of everything to do, move to Jamaica, just get out of here, forget it. Um, and And I met you. Right. And it was like, so how much money are you going to lose if you go away for three months? And I said, yeah, OK, here's all my money. So what should I do next? Right. And you navigated me through the whole path of how to get where I am now. It was it was it was actually a year that you were facing. It was it, oh, a year. Wow. Yeah, it was. So but yeah. you gave me like the so, perspective, right? You're like, how much money you would lose in three months? And I said, yeah. OK. Yeah, it was the whole year. Um, so I'm not sure if you want to run through so, that process um, of what you did for me, but 
Well, no, no, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to focus on, on that process. What, what we like to focus on, um, is our addiction and our, and our recovery. And so I want to go back to those, to those years where, um, you, you took a $300,000 business of your father's and, and you made that into, into a $3 million business. And that's a lot of success. Uh, and during that time, you're also telling me that as your business is going like this, your use is doing the same thing. And so you're physically are going like that. Absolutely. And I, and I, I don't have, and, and I know your story with Adderall and I never had any experience with Adderall. I have ADHD, but I, I, I fortunately or unfortunately grew up before uh, that was prescribed to a lot of kids, but um, I, I, I do see in in, uh, in in this work that that that's a a recurring um, subject, uh, Adderall use and Adderall use at a younger age. Now you started taking it, you said in your twenties, but um, explain to the viewers, you know, what Adderall is, what it does. It's, it's amphetamine, um, and uh, in in your opinion, what that had. Uh, what effect that had on on your uh, substance use disorder? Sure. So I'll put it as simple as this: Adderall is cocaine. That's it, right? It's a complete stimulant. It gives you that same rush that cocaine would give. And I never got into cocaine, but I did it right <laughs> with with Adderall pills. So as alcohol being a, you know, they call it happy hour for a reason. That first drink that you have in the first hour all the dopamine is just spiking and you're moving a mile a minute and everything is perfect. And then it starts to taper off after an hour. But a lot of people don't stop there, right? Especially addicts like myself. And so at the end of the night when I'm crashing, I'm taking the Adderall so I could drive home because I know I have a meeting in the morning or I've got to do an estimate that's going to require all my focus to do this quantity takeoff and put a number in a number that's unknown that I'm going to then use to build a project. And if I'm off, I'm screwed. Right? So the Adderall was a way of keeping that same level of intensity and energy that I needed to compete. But the alcohol was what I was using to handle the stress and the anxieties of just whatever I was going through since at a young age, it made me a very social person. So I figured that's what it, that's what it does. It fixes everything, right? So it was just that that constant rotation of drinking too much, being tired, taking Adderall. Uh, wake up in the morning, take an Adderall at five in the morning, catch a little bit more sleep, get up, take another Adderall, go to work, and maybe I would have a beer on my lunch break, right? And then afterwards, you know, I'm working until seven o'clock at night. You know, putting. 80 hours in a week, 40 hours in, you know, a week. And, you know, you hit dinner. It's like dinner, another drink, and then go to bed. And it's the same process. And it was just nonstop like that. You know? Um, um, so w- would you consider that you had a, co-occur- a co-occurring disorder, that, that you were addicted to both Adderall and alcohol at the same time? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would um, – I was on time-released Adderall, right? And I convinced my doctor that, you know, the time-release made me tired and sometimes I don't need to take it. Can I have the instance and just have a smaller dosage but uh, a higher amount, right? 
so that I could take it whenever I wanted to, to based upon the situation that I was going through, right? If I needed more, double up on the pills. If I only wanted a little bit, you take a little bit, take a half a pill, one pill. And so, you know, that's, that's what got me in trouble, right? It was this instant, instead of a time release substance to focus me and I would just abuse it as I would abuse alcohol, right? It was just how how would end. you how would you abuse it so how how would you abuse it um uh you know you so, you talked about uh that your your doctor prescribed it to you. i would assume that you had some sort of a prescription where they where they told you take so many per hour and whatnot but how long did it take you to go from i'm being prescribed to this stuff by my doctor to on your own saying okay i'm gonna take this the way i want to take this and start abusing it so the time released, I would say, um, lasted three months. You know, with, when it comes to Adderall, because it's a narcotic, the doctors really aren't trying to um, switch the, the gears. You know, if they prescribe you with something, they want to get some information. You have to go back every month, talk, explain how you, how's your eating, how's your sleeping. And obviously, you know, as an alcoholic, I could lie as much as I wanted to, and no one would, believe, uh, would know the difference, right? So I would say my sleeping is great, my eating is great. And it wasn't, of course not, right? So I would say within the first like couple of weeks, right, I could see the difference in being more focused. So it was like, okay, this is perfect. I don't, I can get all my work done and I can compete and go to work and everything's fine. So I would say I noticed within the first two weeks and then I would say on month three, I wanted to, um, I wasn't sleeping, right? It was the time release was just keeping me wired. So I wanted to be able to, take the instance that weren't time released so I could better manage what I wanted to do. So if I needed to sleep more, drink more. If I needed to be up more, take more Adderall. And and after three months, I was on the instance, you know, and, and that was that. I was off and running. Did your, did, did, when you would go back to see your doctor, would they, would they um, question you about your Adderall use and would they monitor your Adderall use in any way or were you just sort of on your own to do whatever you wanted? No, you're, you're on your own to do whatever you wanted. I mean, they give you, if it's a 30-day supply, time release, they give you 30. So if there's, you know, once Adderall's in your system, you don't need to take it every day. I could skip a day, right, and then have an extra pill. So that's one way of how, like, a surplus for myself would I would end up having is if I was home all day on a rainy day and I didn't didn't need to take any Adderall what's the point you know just be in bed all day with your with your girlfriend or whomever and and you don't take any Adderall so that was that was a way of being able to manipulate it later down the line but in the beginning you know you you run through your supply and you go back and you say yep I took my uh my quantity and I'm here for another refill and and they'll give it to you do you do you think now, um, as you've told the audience, um, you, you and I met after your third DUI? Uh, do you think that that Adderall um, enabled you essentially to be a successful alcoholic for longer than you would have, and essentially get yourself deeper into a hole than you than you would have been if you had never taken it before? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, this is coffee times a hundred, right? And and it's uh. and it's instant, right? It's as soon as I take it, within ten minutes, I'm there to go. I don't have to stop at Starbucks and drink two ventis or whatever, which still won't give me 
the amount of energy that the Adderall would give me um, over the course of a of a day and in, in in the years, right? So um, it totally made the drinking worse. The reason why I wanted the instance to begin with was, you know, you go out and you take two or three Adderall instants and you're in VIP all night, popping bottles, living a wild life, going home, <laughs> uh, being, you know, sexual and and wake up, wake up the next morning and do it all over again, right? Like that was the whole beauty behind the Adderall was that it could increase the alcohol consumption to where it made me feel like I was young again. So, and I wasn't, right? So yeah, I mean that's the so that's you can the slippery slope. Um, how? When did it take a turn for you? When did it all start turning for the worse? So, I would say in college, um, I was, you know, drinking, taking Adderall, and smoking marijuana, and I think just like a screw came loose between the marijuana and all the drugs, and I developed like this huge paranoia behind smoking marijuana and that's when I noticed a difference in who I was as far as like my confidence and my my uh, managing my anxieties and I just wouldn't stop smoking weed but I would have these terrible you know episodes every time I smoked where I'd get super paranoid I'd think someone's after me I'm hearing things and eventually I had to give up um, the marijuana when I went to get my first job as a management trainee individual you know I had I was going to corporate America at the age of 23 I had to take a drug test marijuana is in the system for 30 days so I stopped taking so I stopped smoking at that point and just stuck to the Adderall and the alcohol but that's when I noticed (laughs) (laughs) the trifecta wasn't cutting it anymore right like but but you're Jamaican doesn't matter I don't dreadlocks I'm not smoking weed anymore so so isn't isn't that ironic that that um, a job in corporate America would make you stop using marijuana, but you continue you could continue to use alcohol and Adderall, which um, at, at least on a physiological level are, are far more toxic than 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 marijuana is. Yeah, and that's that makes pretty perfect ironic. sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's 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 move forward to you're in my office. And um, and you have this third DUI. Did you ever expect that uh, your trip to my office would be sort of the, the the last trip for your addiction? No, I had no clue. Like I said, I wanted to run away. I just knew that there was no running to Jamaica and making a, a next life there. Right? You had a business here, families like the, that depended on you. People were having children. There was no way I was running to Jamaica. Right? So it was like, okay, that was a great fantasy. Now let's get back to reality. And, um, you know, I, I'll get even get into what got me to you, right? My original lawyer was just, just wrote me off. He, he looked at me as a paycheck, right? He knew that once I got my second DUI, he probably knew in his mind, eh, he'll be back again. And so when I called him on my third DUI, he goes to me, yeah, it's over for you. You're going to prison for a year. <laughs> it was like, there's no other avenues. There's no way I can redeem myself. Do any, nope, that's it. You're done. And that's when you know the thoughts the fantasy started happening so i come to you and you know you're not telling me what i should what i'm doing yet you you want to hear my story look into the case and um you said to me yeah you're going to rehab and i said what he goes yeah yeah you're you're going to go check into rehab this is the facility i think you should go to and um 
call them and get down there. And it took me two weeks to get there, right? I did not want to go. I, I called because I knew I had to meet with you again, so I had to tell you that I called. And in and, and, and the rehab facility, they were great. They actually called me every day until I got down there for two weeks. And it was the first week that I was just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be down there and sure, 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 right? Like still not thinking I'm going. And then the second week it was just like, no, you're going to rehab, buddy. And, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Why? Um, it made me it made me let go of all the things that were bothering me, right? It made me focus on myself. It made me find confidence in myself and a natural ability. And it made me, um, you know, have the courage to say, okay, I don't know anything but drinking and doing drugs. I've been doing this since 14 years old. And now I have to stop for the rest of my life. And the facility helped me have the confidence. Yes, I was scared to death when I came out, right? I, I was petrified. But I knew I had learned everything that I needed to know at that particular moment to make it forward. Like I said, I had scaled my business 10x. I had the ability the ability to be focused, right? So in my mind it was I was like, okay, Jeff, you were manifesting, you know, I want the family and the business and all these different things and boom. DUI on your birthday and at that moment in rehab I said yeah the universal God was just going to tell you that yeah you want all these things but you're not going to be a, a drug addict plus have all these things you're going to have all these things and not be a drug addict and at that point I said yeah I, I have to give this up because I know I won't not drink and drive right it was just it was ingrained in me and I knew I couldn't do it anymore so you know you know the the, the rehab facility taught me everything I need to know about exercise, right? The three ways that I get dopamine, how drugs were giving me dopamine and what I needed to do, right? When I got out to maintain my dopamine levels and, um, and the neural pathways that I, that I carved into my brain through the use of, uh, uses of drugs, how I would need to carve in new ones. And, and they told me, it's like, it's going to take you eight to 12 months to find your way through this, cravings and and the lying to yourself and all these different things that are going to happen to you and you need to you know get into your IOP when you get out of here take that serious and give yourself 8 to 12 months to shake the cravings and let me tell you man it, it definitely took that long but everything I learned in rehab I knew I had the tools to, to, to fight through that, that 8 to 12 months and you know um, there are things that I found that worked for myself that I would recommend to other people. Um, um, and then there was just the things that were just scientifically the facts that I had to just accept and, and learn about and, mm-hmm. and, and have a regimen. Like it was my job, right? It's like, this is now your new job. The way you wanted to scale your business, that level of focus you put into your job, you need to put that into this right now, because this is the only job that you have or else my life is over. And, and that's, you know, the, the approach I took, um, through, through going to rehab and, and what I learned coming out, you know. Um, so um, I want to I, I want to specifically focus for for you. Uh, these these podcasts have have been great and uh, they've been eye opening for for me. And uh, so what I've been basically doing is talking to a, a lot of my alumni, and uh, some of them are 11, 12, 
you know, six, seven years uh, sober, um, like you. And each of them has, you know, a, a, a different pathway. Each of them has a, a different routine to be able to get sober. Uh, I do remember for myself in that in that first year, I um, I I I shrouded myself in in my children, in my two girls, and I I maintained that if there's one thing I'm I'm going to be is I'm going to be a really good dad uh, because I wasn't a very good husband. <clears throat> I wasn't a very good business partner. I wasn't a very good friend. And I had failed at all those things. Um, but I hadn't quite failed as a dad yet. I was going to, but I hadn't. Um, and so I, I could focus on that. And uh, they were only with me for a short period of time during the month. I only had them about four days. Uh, so the rest of the time, I, I had about like you know, 24, 26 days to go ahead and relapse and feel sorry for myself. So I, I shrouded myself in, in a book that I just kept reading over and over and over. It was a really thick book and it had a cross on it. And it, um, and I just kept reading that one over and over and over again to get me through that first year of cravings and that first year of, of, of sort of the emotional roller coaster that you go through, if you, if you remember. Um, but you didn't do that. Uh, no. you, you did, you, you did something that, no, you did something that, that I, I don't envy, but, um, you, you did something that I admire and that I, I wish that myself, uh, I wish that I had done because it certainly would have made things a lot easier for me. Um, and the reason is, is that, uh, what you did was a lot more social, uh, and a lot more spiritual uh because of the interconnection of all the people that you did it with but um i would i'd like you to to take some time here and tell specifically slowly um the people once you got out of rehab what you started to do specifically with your yoga uh and spe specifically with, with your uh meditation and your spirituality absolutely are we using people's names or are we keeping people anonymous uh, how's I just want to know the format. Uh, no, you can you can use Pam's name. She won't. Pam won't have a problem because uh, I'm sure Pam would would love the the um, the shout out because uh, that's what we're talking about. Pam Moranti. Yeah, she's amazing. You know that that was my like God directed me to her. I was supposed to go to a different IOP in another town, and they never called me back. And it landed me at my IOP in in, in Avon and with Pam. Right. So Pam's uh, therapist. Um, she was actually going through her own trials, you know, own part of her life at that moment when I met her. Um, and so yoga was her spiritual connection to how she was going to, you know, bring her life to where she wanted it to be. And, um, you know, she was an amazing therapist because she had her own private practice. So now she's helping addicts. So she's has that ability, ability to know the, uh, you know, um, the medical issues, right. And how to deal with people on a case by case basis. And then she was an excellent yoga teacher and she pushed us to the max as far as, you know, the intensity of the, the intensity of yoga. And she taught me and everyone how to meditate. Right. So part of IOP was a three minute meditation. And when you talk about meditating, people think, you know, a monk sitting in a mountain and, you know, they're there for two hours and and they and it scares them off, right? People are just like, I don't, I'm not meditating. You want me to be quiet for hours on end? Like, I'm an addict. Like, all I do is have fun, right? So, I learned how to meditate for three minutes through Pam, and 
she told me like, you're going to come to yoga every day in the morning and in the evening. And I did it right. Like for a year straight, you know, those eight to 12 months, I went to yoga two times a day for six months straight. And I meditated every day in IOP for the five minutes, the 15 minutes, whatever the exercise she put us through for that first, um, 30 days. And then I would do, um, 3d meditations with the headphones through, you know, Spotify, YouTube, Apple music. You can find, you know, Hemi sync, DMT, um, meditations, chakra, um, uh, balancing. And I did those 3d, um, meditations for sometimes an hour, two hours, but I was with yoga and meditation every single day. And yeah, I did go to AA groups, but again, I ended up being, uh, you know, going back to my childhood where, where it was like, I don't fit in here. Like these groups aren't really for me. I don't relate to many people here. So it was, it was very awkward for me to go to AA groups. And yeah, I found, you know, a young group, you know, in, in um, my town here. And I saw people that I went to high school with that, you know, they would get way completely wasted and they stopped um, using drugs at a very early age because they had, you know, near death experiences where they, was a little bit different. They hit their rock bottom a lot earlier than I did, right? And so, yeah, that was fun to me, but I just didn't relate to people, right? It was just different for me, um, you know, especially as far as who my past is. So um, I ended up doing private groups with um, the people I practiced yoga with, and that was my path. It was yoga, meditation, and private groups with the people that I did yoga with um, and met at IOP. So... Yeah, that was that was my path, and it's and it's still my path to, to this day. Um, have there been times where I stopped, you know, doing yoga the way I need to, as far as every day? Absolutely, but I've always gone back to yoga, which has gotten me back to square one of how I felt eight to twelve months after getting out of rehab. And to this day, I'll I'll never not do yoga and meditate. I still meditate to this day. If you um if you look back, um, and and you you look at yourself as that fourteen year old kid that felt awkward in the social setting that he that he was in, um, and felt nervous about about um, social engagement um, because you know you didn't look like everybody else. Um, n- now that you sit here and you've been through everything that you've gone through. What would you tell that young man that he could do at that age and at that time that's different than what you did, that's more constructive, that's probably more honest, and that's healthier for him to be able to navigate those situations, but also spiritually um, be okay with it and and spiritually uh be able to 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 accept basically have acceptance because um you know the numbers aren't really going to change is that um there's only a certain percentage of people that look like a certain percentage that there's only a certain percentage of of, of african-american men in the, whatever social setting you're gonna, you're always going to get in this is what we have to deal with in my family um you know they're going to be the majority of the people that don't look like you so that's the reality of it and we have to live in reality. So I, I, I guess my question is, is that how do we recovered people 
if we can at all, I don't know whether I'm just wasting my time, but how do we as, as recovered people help to try to keep others from having to suffer from what we suffered from and put ourselves through because of that social anxiety? You yeah. got anything? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I know that I for, for my go ahead. No, no, go finish. I I would say, um, that's so like term. For, for you, go ahead. No, go go go. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you go. So, I know. There's a, there's a delay. There's a delay. So, anyways, um, but like for for, for myself, uh, I've always been small, always. Same here. So uh, I, I've always been, yeah, I've always been teeny. And, and that for me in, in male uh, social situations, I have always walked into them with a massive amount of anxiety because not only am I short, but I have a big personality. And a lot of times my personality will butt up against bigger people's personalities than mine. And bigger people have no problem threatening you with physical violence. Oh, no, yeah. They uh, and so in where I grew up, in New Britain, um, that happened quite a lot. So social situations for me were always filled with anxiety of physical violence where I would have to, I, I would have to defend myself and lose at some sort of physical altercation <laughs> and, uh, and have to go home bruised and then get yelled at by my father for losing. So I, it was a no-win situation, but in no way do I ever think that that's um, the same exact situation that you had to deal with, because uh, it wasn't. Um, and so, I, I guess what I'm what I'm asking is, how, how do we? How, how, what advice would we give to little guys like us uh, that could keep them from having suffered the same fate as us, which is falling into alcohol? For, for comfort and aid in those social situations where we feel anxious. Yeah, um, I would tell anyone um, at the age of 14, you know, going through high school and college is that what you see in front of you is not what you're going to see when you get out of college and get into the real world where you're working every day to make a living for yourself. So try to stay with the most neutral thinking and radical acceptance ever. Like don't be jealous of the football captain, of the football team that has the hottest girl, right? Like he might not be that person when you're 30 years old, he might be driving a truck. He's not, he might not be the, the most popular person on campus with the hottest girl when you're an adult. So try not to put so much stock into what you're seeing in front of you right now. Focus more on just, who I am, you know, who, who, who I am and, and, and find, you know, find comfort and confidence in just being me, right. Accept who I am. Um, you know, I didn't accept that. Right. I, I wanted to be somebody else. Oh, you know, if I'm black, I'm going to get pulled over or I'm going to not get that girl or I'm going to be talked to a certain way or expected to expected to be uh, talking a certain way. Right. So, I was always just trying to like prove something, right? And striking out. I would tell someone not to do that, right? F forget all of that. Doesn't matter. Find find what I'm good at, right? Find some pride into my own culture. You know, I had to um, 
do some research to figure out that like no being a black person is is, a, is amazing right <laughs> i used to not want to be black i'd be like oh no i'm i'm not as dark or i'm not like i'm this is the thing that happens in this american culture where there's so much negative press and negative stereotypes pushed towards um people of color that they end up having this level of self-hatred where they will find anything within them to say nope i'm not that type of black person right and i would encourage people not to run away from that embrace that know that you know pratt and whitney did a study in 1996 right and it's a salute to black inventors and it's everything from 1809 to 1906 that black people invented i had no clue Elijah McCoy is another, you know, another person, a great inventor. I I started to find that if I took pride into my own people more, um, and and stopped looking at this thing through like a black and white thing, look at look at it from like a person to person, a human perspective, the more pride I had for myself and for my culture and for my people, the happier I was as an individual. Because I'm going to come across people who have stereotypes about black people, and they're never going to change, and it's not even their fault, right? I would say to anyone, yeah, I would say to anyone, no one, right, no one signs up for their life to say, I want to be this kid with the silver spoon. Sign me up right here. Their parents didn't sign up for that life. No one signs up for the life that they have. So it's better to not get pissed off and mad at anyone and just try to understand why would that person be that way, right? And find peace in that. I'm not saying you have to accept the racist, the the person that hates women, the person that hates brown people. I'm not saying you have to interact with that person at all. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't let something that a person never signed up for dictate how I feel on a day to day basis. It's 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 not it's not important, right? And it's not even relevant. It's not even valid. So like that's the type of advice I would give a person that's young is, you know, just be happy that you have this life and figure out what it is that makes you who you are and just accept that and move forward. Just don't, nothing is good. Nothing's bad. Everything is a lesson to have knowledge to, you know, do something else. Right. That's, that's how I would try to look at it. Yeah. So that's, that's the advice to the 14 year old kid who hasn't started drinking yet. Um, I want to move on to um when 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 we when we were at the top of our addiction in other words we, we were at the, the the peak of our of our successful drinking and our and for for you for, for with with the Adderall uh for me that was probably uh, my late 20s um and I don't know where that was for you in your early 20s and your later 20s uh, I know that you you had uh, quit a little bit earlier than me, um, but would you, what kind of advice would you give to that guy if you could? And um, you can also tell us that it would have been a complete waste of time talking to that guy. But um, looking back, if you could go back, say ten years, and put then and rewind that clock, and and there you are. There's Jeff King, the guy who just made a who who ten xed his his dad's company. And he's nailing it. Uh, he's nailing it everywhere he goes, and he's just crushing it. And he's got a hundred thousand dollar truck, and he's got fifteen people working for him, and everybody's calling on the phone, and business is great, and everything's going 
unbelievably. But you know what was going on in that guy's heart and what was going on up here. Uh, you, you know what's under the surface. So what would you tell that guy at that point? Um, if there's anything that you could have told him uh, that could have stopped the craft? Um, very good question. I would, I would tell the person drinking at that age that there's going to be a shelf life to this. So this is not sustainable. You're at your peak and it's because of genetics and health. And if you're this successful, imagine being five times more successful than you are right now. You think you're crushing it right now. Put down that drink and get into a straight life of health and real balance and finding out who you are. And you think you're doing well now, you'll do even better later. There was one thing that when I first met you, right, I didn't know what it was about you. I didn't know that you didn't drink or anything like that, but I was drawn to your energy and I never understood it until I would say three years ago, right, where I thought I had confidence when I was drinking. No, I had zero confidence. I have more confidence now. I would be a nervous wreck trying to have this conversation with somebody if I was drinking things the the chemical reactions the anxiety from the alcohol I could be tired someone could have be uh, I could be pissed off and irritated because I'm hungover and tired right there's so many things that happen on an emotional level because of the chemical that goes through my body you know like when I was in rehab a person said to me you're a Ferrari would you put diesel fuel in a Ferrari I was like no that's stupid and he's like, well, then what are you doing with alcohol? You're literally putting diesel fuel in your Ferrari. <laughs> it's like, well, I like Ferraris. <laughs> like, I would, I would never do that. That's stupid, right? So, that, like, that's the advice I would give. The level of confidence I have now, I could never have imagined this to the point where I've been, um, you know, at this point now, I can go out with people that do drink and it's not an issue for me. Um, but I've had people come up to me and just say, I like your energy. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean you like my energy? You don't even know who I am. It's the same thing that happened when I saw you. I didn't know why I liked this guy, but I just did, and I wanted to hang around him. And <laughs> and that never that never happened to me when I was drinking alcohol. It was like, okay, here comes this asshole again. Let's see what show he's going to put on this week, you know, being drunk. Yeah. I, 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 a stranger would never just want to be around me. And I would tell the person that's drinking now, that's crushing it now, you think you have everything right now and that life is great, you have no idea. It's a different level of energy, a different vibe that you give off when, you, when you're 100% sober and don't have any drugs in your system. Do you, do you think now that you're sober um, that you have a much more successful business than you would have if you didn't quit drinking? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I've actually... Um, transitioned over to um, a different job right now um, and um, I'm working for a municipality and I'm doing a work development program right um, I've always wanted to help inner city kids because I knew as far as who I am like being a black man in America I saw things differently right but being raised in the suburbs I learned things differently I saw things one way but I learned another way you know so I got a good education but I still know what the streets are like and how the streets can draw people in. So I've always wanted to work with 
um, younger people. And now I'm, I have the story, right? I have the street cred where I can talk to anyone that's young and tell them my story. Like, you can't tell me anything. Like, this is what happened to me. So what are you, you going to say? <laughs> right? Like, I, I love having that now where I'm able to talk to younger people and help steer them in a good path where they won't have to make some of the mistakes I made and I have the credentials to show you. Like, here's my prison ID. I went to prison for <laughs> drinking and driving. Um, you know, here's my business. Here's, here's, here's everything. What do you want to see? I can show it to you. And um, I, I think that's like the biggest blessing that's happened to me so far is that now I can really help other people and um you know and in construction we have an aging workforce right we don't have as many young people that want to build stuff with their hands and be a craftsman right everyone got pushed to college like oh go get that degree come out with four hundred thousand dollars in debt and you know not have a good enough job to afford to pay that payment right plus start a family plus have a house right i would i would say there's i would say um showing people that there's another way is the biggest blessing for me um, because we need more young people. If we're going to live in this new sustainable energy, AI um, environment, who's going to build all this stuff? It's not going to be a Tesla robot, right? We need, no. <laughs> we need um, people. We need people that, you know, that are smart, that didn't go through the same um, era that you went through, my parents went through, that I went through. Things are a lot more fair, so to speak. Now there's less, you know, violence or that would happen to someone just walking to school. You know, that, yeah, there's bullying. Yeah, there's more hmm. um, social media stuff. But that be, being sucked into social media, I think you could teach a kid um, more and how not to fall victim to to social media versus just being bullied by walking home from school, right? Like everyone just runs home to their computers and their phones and they're just checked out. So I think it's it's a different environment. There's a lot more social pressures now and a lot more um, anxiety with the meds and the food now. But um, I, I think that uh, being able to have this workforce development program where I'm able to touch a lot of younger people, it's just like the biggest, the biggest success I never would have thought I could ever have done without you know going through what i went through so um i'm here now and i'm happy i went through it to be quite honest and would it would it be and would it be possible if you were still drinking no would you and not like would it be possible in terms of could could you have done it what, what i really mean is is that were were you still drinking would you have those feelings of helping other people or would you be just sort of focusing on on me in my 10x or my 20x and my 30x yeah and that's that's the point like i wouldn't have the capacity if i was drinking and still taking adderall i would not have the capacity to do what i'm doing i i see people that are you know top level executives and sure they they drink but i can i can see who had too much to drink the night before now right i was that guy and I, and I can see how it impacts their mood, right? It impacts their um, ability to focus and talk high level, you know, that, that they're at. And it's just, it's a ticking time bomb. It chips away. So it's just not possible to, to do it with, with the drugs in your system, especially as you get older. You want that wisdom plus you want the energy. And the energy is what I have now. And the wisdom is what I have now by going through that. And there's no way I could do that with drinking in Adderall.
I, you're, you're, you're selling yourself short. And, um, and because that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking about your energy. I know that you're full of energy and, and I know that, that, that you are industrious. But okay. when I first met you, um, the, when I first met you, you did not seem like a guy that would be um, championing a, a, a workforce development program for a bunch of um, inner city kids who, who, who don't have anybody else to champion them. And so what I'm asking you is, and I'm trying to give you credit, is uh, would you have done any of that stuff if you were still drinking or is this uh, a result of your sobriety in, in your spiritual journey? A hundred percent a result of the sobriety and spiritual journey. There, there's no, there's no way I would have done this, um, running a company and just being tired, right, and hungover all the time. Um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the focus because dealing with younger people, they don't know anything, and it's not their fault, right? They need someone to teach them. They need time, right? Just like it, it took me eight to twelve months to get the cravings out of my system. That applies to anybody else, especially a person from you know, a broken family or that has less than, it's going to require time and patience to deal with them. And yeah, I'm going to help some people and I'm not going to help certain people. And, and that, and that's fine. Right. But for every person that I can help and even the person that I quote unquote couldn't help, they're going to learn something that's going to help them in the future. Right. I've, I've already had one, one um, young person in this program who didn't make it. And I still keep in contact with him and he's doing He's still and he's doing better. He's doing different. Yeah. He got a job somewhere else. He just wasn't ready for the big leagues that I'm working in right now because there are people that are hop, operating on that high level, right? That are drinking, it, but but they are doing what they can do, right? So yeah, I I think that I think that um when there's drugs involved, there's just no way to do more. There's just it's just not possible. Yeah, and, and and to do more, it requires patience, right? And, I, um, and, and uh, there's my, no patience my, with 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 drugs. My um my my wife told me one time, long time ago. She said, uh, "Hurt people, hurt people," and um, kind of like the corollary of that is uh, people who have been given second chances like to give other people second chances, and. Uh, You've been given second and third chances in, oh, yeah. in your life, and it's nice to see that you're giving other people a second chance at a at a successful life. So, I wanna I wanna thank you for being on. I wanna thank you for everything that you do uh, for yourself and your own sobriety. I really wanna thank you for what you do for others, and uh, lastly, I, I wanna thank you for being my friend. Because I, I'm I'm proud to know you and I'm proud to call you my my, my really close friend and I love you and uh, thanks for being on man you have a great weekend thanks man love you too appreciate everything you've done for me you're you're the man all right I'll see you I'll see you soon all right see you soon take care.